Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Valley, man, I'm so thankful you are here today. Uh, we are going to look at the resurrection today and see what God has uh, to say for us. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 is where we're going to be today. And I am so thankful to be a part of this. You know, it was just two years ago that on Easter Sunday, I was preaching to a camera. And so, man, what a tremendous, tremendous uh, day for us to be back. And uh, if you're online with us today, the house is kind of full. Amen? Oh, that's good. And so uh, I'm going to try to keep stick on time because if there's this many people here, that means they're taking care of your kids over there and they love your kids for exactly one hour in the children's ministry. All right. So it's a pretty sharp diminishment after that. So we're going to stick on time today. So uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. What I want to challenge you to do this week is that the resurrection uh, is a day, is Easter Sunday, but the resurrection is, is how we are empowered for our life. So this entire chapter is what uh, we often call the resurrection chapter. So I'm going to preach in the first part of this. I want to challenge you to do what I did this week, which is just pray through it as your Bible study uh, this week. It is rich and wonderful and so helpful in the Christian life to understand the power of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go through it in sections today. And so 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to do verse 1 and 2 first. The Bible says, Now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so I want to talk to you first about the gospel in stages. The gospel in stages. In other words, it comes to you in progressive stages along the way. So the gospel has stages in our lives. And this is helpful for you because, especially if you're a believer today, but I don't want you to ever get this idea of, oh, this is a, a message for people who need to get saved. You know, the gospel is for those who don't know Jesus so they can uh, have an eternal life with him in heaven. And that's true. But the gospel is for you. The gospel is for the most mature believer in here, and it has power in our lives, and it comes to us in stages. And so let's look at those uh, briefly. All three that I want to show you are actually in this text. He says first, in verse 15, he says, the gospel was received. The gospel was received. In other words, for the people of Corinth, the church of Corinth, at some time in the past, he says, at one point, you, were, you heard the gospel and you accepted it. You brought it into your life. Now, this is what we call justification. Justification is a moment in the gospel, and this is what it is. It is where you are instantly, boom, instantly saved from the penalty of sin. Justification, you are instantly saved from the penalty of sin. Now, that is good news. The gospel means good news. The gospel is the story of the life of Jesus, particularly the death of Jesus, the very end of his life. And so the good news today is that the penalty of your sins have been paid for by Jesus the moment that you receive him. And you live in that from then on. That's amazing. Think about it. I mean, how would you like to be someone like me that grew up, uh, I grew up in church 
And then I drifted away. And there was a lot of years of, of sin. The reason that I don't, I, I was raised up in the panhandle. The reason that I had to come down to central Texas, the hill country, is because my reputation in the panhandle is still there. And so, so I, but the penalty is gone. I can go back and I can preach and people can say, didn't you, didn't you, didn't you? Yes, but the penalty is gone. It's instant in our lives when we accept Jesus Christ, which we receive. The second stage of the gospel is sanctification. Sanctification. He says in this text, he says, you take your stand, and he said, you are being saved. In other words, you received him in the past, and you were justified. Now sanctified, you are being saved over and over, day by day. Uh, Sanctification means we are progressively saved from the power of sin. Now, some of you, this is going to really, really help you because as I've talked to people about church over the years, there is is extremely common that people bring up a hard moment from their past. Well, this person, I was raised in church, or once I went to church and this thing happened, or this person said this, or I went to church and it was a horrible experience. And, and, And sanctification helps us understand that from other people's perspective. In fact, I read an article this week, it was really interesting. So they polled a bunch of people that had, and it said, why did you leave religion? And uh, it, was that, it was just that broad. And so all of these people who were raised in some sort of religion uh, talked about their experience while they left. Well, as you read that with a critical eye, the first thing you noticed was that some people were raised in cults. And you were like, I'm glad you left. Uh, you, you know, when, when, when the pastor starts asking you to shave your head and uh, change your last name to Whitful, it's time to find a new church. All right, just... <laughs> go, right? Take a picture on the way out, grab some donuts, and go find a new church, right? That, so they, some of them, they left for that. Now, some of them, they left because they were in a, in a proper church, probably, it sounded like, but there was some dysfunction within that. Something happened that was weird or wrong, and that, that certainly happens within the life of Christ, or sometimes even in our church. We're not perfect. We're being sanctified. We're being sanctified. But the one that I found most interesting was the people that left over one momentary thing that happened. And I'm not talking about, you know, huge. I'm talking about someone said one thing. Someone did one thing. And sanctification helps us understand, hey, they were in process too. They were, maybe the sin in their life is that they didn't ever think about other people and how their words can really hit, or that they were acting haughty, or they were arrogant, and God had to work on their sins. Sanctification is this process where the longer you know a believer, first thing you see is that they aren't perfect yet, and second, what you should see over time is that they're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. The Bible says we take our stand on this gospel, and it's the power of sin that over time really and truly is diminished in our life. The last uh, part or stage of the gospel is glorification. Glorification is when you are permanently, permanently uh, uh, saved from the power of, or excuse me, from the presence of sin. Glorification is you are saved from the presence of sin. You die. And you go to heaven, and guess what? There is no sin. Not others to hurt you, not yours to hurt yourself or to hurt others. Glorification is this moment. And he says in the text, you get this if you hold to the gospel. If you stay in Jesus Christ. It's very important that you hear that. It didn't say if you do this religious thing. 
if you were once a church member, if you were once saved, if you were once prayed a prayer. No, no, no. You are glorified the moment that you stay in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then you die and you spend an eternity with him. And the presence of sin is gone in our lives for all time. And so we can be saved now through justification and that God's penalty is no longer on us. We can be saved continuously by growing in our faith. And we can be saved once we get to heaven for all eternity that there is no presence of sin there. The Bible says, I am not ashamed because I know who I have believed. And I am persuaded that Jesus is able to guard what he has entrusted to me until I die. Jesus is salvation. So there are stages along the way. Now, let's make sure we understand what we're talking about. Let's look at the gospel defined, verse 3 and 4. This is what the gospel is. In verse 3 and 4, he says, For I passed on to you what is most important. Circle those words in your Bible, uh, especially if you're using someone else's Bible, circle them in theirs. Uh, so <laughs> it's most important that I also receive that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The most important thing in the Bible, in Christianity, in the world is this, that Christ died for your sins. Christ died for my sins. According to the scriptures, it had been told in all of the Old Testament that this was coming. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried in a tomb. And on Easter Sunday, Jesus was raised. Jesus was resurrected to eternal life. And so that is the gospel. That is the de definition of what we have to know and what we have to receive in order to begin a salvation experience with Jesus. And I want to highlight just one part of that. He says, Christ died for our sins. Think about that. I've been living for Jesus now uh, a couple years ago. I celebrated 25 years of living for Jesus. I'm 48 now. But even in those 25 years, the amount of sin in my life, since I've been living like truly for Jesus, is staggering. It's unbelievable. If you could look at 25 years of sin, of when I was trying not to sin, you would, I mean, I'm telling you, it would be overwhelming to me. And Christ died for those sins. The biblical word for that is atonement, atonement. Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. In other words, it's not like a, a permissive grandparent. You know how, you, 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 if you have children, you know how you send your kids to, your grand, to the grandparents for a weekend and it takes you a week and a half to deprogram them? You're, you're like, no, you're not the center of the universe. No, you, you know, you're not the best at everything. You're kind of average and below in a lot. I, I mean, you know, and you're... Your grandparents lie. I love Bill Cosby. They're old and trying to get into heaven, right? I mean, that's what's happening. And so, so, we, so we have to be so careful that we don't just get this idea that Christ was just like, oh, it's no big deal. You're saying, oh, it's just fine. Oh, you're so cute. That's not true at all. God's wrath was poured on Jesus because of my sin, because of who I am apart from Christ, because of the ideas in my mind. Because of where I put my eyes, because of the words that come out of my mouth, because of the actions with my hands, because of the feelings of my heart, because of my feet and where they take me. So many times, Jesus died for sin. It is so important that we understand that part of it. Now, if you're not a believer today, you're thinking, okay, you probably knew some of that story. But is it true? 
That's what you've got. I mean, like, you know the story, but there's a difference in knowing the story and receiving the story. There's a difference in really and truly basing your life on this story alone. So let's look next at the gospel validated. The gospel validated. In other words, is it valid and real? So here's what uh, the Apostle Paul says about the gospel when it is validated, starting at verse 5. And that, so remember, he's raised, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared as to me as to one born at the wrong time. He also appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God." The gospel validated is through the resurrection. We know it is true through the resurrection that Jesus was physically crucified on the cross, was spiritually, uh, had wrath poured on him by the Father, was literally limp and lifeless in a tomb. But on Easter Sunday, Jesus came alive. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And the proof of that is the resurrection appearance to, in this text right here, we have six Different appearances, all right? And so six different times he appeared to people and he showed them he was alive. In this text, he says uh, he appeared to 500 people. Most of them are still alive. What is he saying? Go talk to them. Go talk to those people. They'll go, I saw him. I saw him. I, I was there that day when he appeared to all of those people. The resurrection is the validation, is the proof of Christianity and its truthfulness. That Jesus really is the Son of God. That he came to earth uh, and lived a perfect sinless life. That he died a substitutionary death, an atoning death on the cross for you and I. He was resurrected and then he appeared. And then other people saw him. So I want to I look at two of them that I think are, are, are helpful for us today. First of all, let's look at uh, the, the resurrection according to James. Now, James is, is an author of one of the books of the Bible towards the end of the Bible. But way before that, James is the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus. If How many of you have a chosen child in your family and you are not them? Uh, that Can you imagine, I mean, Jesus being your brother? And he's the oldest, so he's the one that's going out and doing everything first. And, and so, um, but Jesus was perfect. Jesus was without sin. Sometimes we kind of make fun, and I've done it before too. We kind of make this idea like, um, you know, Jesus was the, the valedictorian and the homecoming king and the, you know, you know the, uh, the high... Uh, the football uh, quarterback, you know, that Jesus was normal in the sense that he grew up and he was in the world, but he was perfect in, from his entire life. He was literally not with sin. He never sinned. Now, can you imagine as a parent how messed up that makes you for the rest of your children? Because Jesus was never antagonistic towards his brothers and sisters. Can you imagine? My, my kids are both home for the weekend, and uh, I'm telling you, they, I mean, tw 21 and 18, and I'm still refereeing them like they're three and four. Quit fighting or go outside, you, you know, and then quit crying, and that's the boy. Yeah, you, you, you know, like, you know, because the girl's meaner. She's tougher, and so, so, but... I mean, it's just, I mean, all the time. And, and, and I look back and I think to myself, okay, I think this is partially my fault. 
Because um, if you know me really well, and I know you well, then what I'm, if I ever see you in public, but you don't see me, I'm going to express love by scaring you. I love scaring people. I think it is hilarious. Some of you don't think it's funny, and you're wrong. It is, I mean, I have seen people I know and crawled in the back seat of their car, and after they were pulling out of the parking lot, reached around and grabbed them. Oh, I mean, a big construction worker went, yeah! Yeah, man, it was, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I have had, I had a lady one time cuss in H-E-B so loud that other people came around and they thought I was hitting her. And she was like, it's okay. It's my pastor. Right? And that's it. It's awesome. Oh, yes. And so, so I taught my children how to do this. Like, I, you know, like, and when they were little, they weren't really good at, you know, you come around the corner, boo, and it doesn't, it works a little bit, but you've got to know how to nuance this, this bad boy, right? So, so one time Creed, scared Liv. And Liv was like, I'm going to get you back. And she couldn't. And she was like, Dad, can you help? And I was like, oh, yeah. And so, 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 so all day or all evening, we were told, Creed, we're going to get you. We're going to get you today. We're going to get you today. So it was finally bedtime. And uh, Creed was in, in his room, lights off uh, and uh, everything. And so I walk in. And, and, and I act like I'm sneaking. But, you know, the light from the hallway comes in. It, it, it illuminates his room. And so he's like, Dad, this is a horrible excuse for trying to scare me. You're like, oh, that's right. So I stand there for a second. And we chit-chat and, and go on. And, uh, and I was like, I was trying to get you for Livy. You know, it's like, well, that's, you know, it's horrible tempt. And, and I say, all right. And I, and I close the door. And Creed is like, all right, I'm, I'm off the hook. Well, he doesn't realize that my attempt was the diversion. All right? So, so we're like velociraptors here. All right? So, so. I was, I was never, because while I was sitting there and tried to scare him, you know, and, uh, and talking to him, Livy is army crawling into his room. I mean, and she is down low, she is, and she gets to the foot of the bed. And I'm sitting there talking, and I was like, all right, good night, and the lights are off and everything. And I told her, I was like, you're going to want to do it really quickly, but don't. Wait, wait, let, let everything settle. And you know that, that moment of like just really good, almost asleep. And I said, reach under the covers and grab that foot and go, and, and she did. And, he, and you could hear him, you know, like over the other room. And it was just like this wonderful, wonderful moment. Uh, I mean, just like, I mean, I was like, I was just like, I'm so proud. She's ready. She can go off. She's good. Yeah, I mean, it was, oh, it was great. Creed came out, and he was like, that wasn't funny. And you're like, oh, it was. And kids are that way. All right, now, that was like a, that was like a four-minute story. You're like, where are we in the sermon? You come back, come back. All right, all right. So um, kids are antagonistic towards each other. And Jesus' brothers were antagonistic towards him because that's human nature. You want to push others down by making yourself fill up. Now, Jesus never did that to his brothers. That would have been sin. But they did it to him. And we see it in the text. When they're adults, no less. In uh, John chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the brothers are on the sidelines. And it says brothers, so there's, there's multiple ones. We know two of their names. Uh, but there's multiple brothers, and they're sitting there, and they're making fun of Jesus. Wow, Jesus, you're, if you're really the, the Messiah, I mean, if you're, you should go to Jerusalem because it's a festival of booths. And they say, you should go there. And the Bible says specifically, even his brothers didn't believe in him. 
And they're, they're, they're antagonizing him. They're making fun of him. And then in Mark chapter uh, 3, verse 21, we find the brothers, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. And the brothers literally say, we've got to go grab him and restrain him because he's crazy. I mean, the, the brothers at this point are going, you know, some nice people in, in white coats are going to take you. And we're going to get you the help you need, Jesus. And, and that, they're, they're totally, they went from antagonizing him to so not believing him. They're like, He's crazy. And then Jesus, what happens? This text. Jesus dies according to the scriptures for our sins, including his brothers. Jesus is buried and Jesus is raised. And the next time we see James is when he writes his book. James chapter 1 verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is no longer, that's my brother. He says, he is the God of the universe. And I am his servant. I am a follower of Christ. Why? This is the crux of it all. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. If you bring baggage in your life today, if you bring a past in your life today, if you bring consequences that can sometimes feel overwhelming because of sin, the resurrection changes everything everything. And Jesus, through the resurrection, can show you new life. Jesus can take you to a place of usefulness in the kingdom of God. Jesus can forgive your sins. The resurrection, the actual physical Jesus is a live resurrection. It changes everything in our lives. And you can have it today, just like James did. And if you think you are one, you're like, well, I'm too bad. I'm not, I can't. The other part of the resurrection is, Jesus, is Paul says, he appeared to me the resurrection happened to me. And he says, I'm one abnormally born or born early. He says, I persecuted the church. Listen, Paul is saying, I was the worst of the worst. In fact, Paul says in the Bible, I'm the chief of sinners. If you want to have a sinning contest, Paul will go, you tell everything of yours and I'll pull something out and you go, you win. I mean, that's how bad he is. And he says, yet I am one who Jesus, the resurrection changed. So there's no one here today that brings so much baggage, so much past, so much failure that Jesus cannot change your life. And he wants to. He wants to change who you are. Now, for those of us who have been saved by the gospel, by Jesus' power on the cross, this last, these last verses are for you. Let's look at the gospel effects. What happens because of the gospel in our lives? Verse 10 and 11. For by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder, harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so that we proclaim, and so you have believed. The, the, the gospel effects, three times in this, in this text, it says grace. The gospel effects is grace in your life. What is grace? Grace is uh, undeserved favor. Let me put it to you another way. Instead of undeserved favor, grace is something that is given to you that you don't earn. Grace is given to you through the gospel of Christ in your life. Three times he says grace and what happens in his life. First of all, he says, I am who I am. Think, this is Paul. 2,000 years later, we're talking about Paul. We would have not been talking about him if he was just a persecutor of the church. He was kind of born into Jewish royalty, sort of. I mean, he was uh, uh, of the 12 tribes of, 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 of 
Israel. He was in the most prominent one. He was born into this uh, upper-class family that got him all of the best education. In fact, in the text, he talks about his famous teachers, all of the things he was doing. He was on his way. Yet, all of a sudden, the gospel came into his life. The resurrection came into his life, and it changed everything. And Paul becomes a, a church planter all over the Mediterranean. These churches that literally still exist today, and everything changes. He says, I am what I am. You know what the gospel grace in your life is? It is purpose. It is purpose. Why are you here? What does he want for you? God has a plan for your life. And Paul says, I am what I am. Gospel, the grace made it in my life. The grace brought this. I love the saying of uh, the two, uh, two best days of your life are uh, the day that you were born and the day that you figure out why you were born. In other words, I found a purpose. I find a meaning. I find that he has placed me in this particular way. He has molded me through the circumstances of my life. He has a purpose for your life. And I'm telling you, you're not going to find it outside the gospel. You might find uh, some worldly success, but you won't find your purpose outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ, outside of the resurrection. You will always be wondering, what, what, what am I supposed to do? Why am I here? How do I act? Should, what job should I take? Who should I marry? All of those things. Those correct answers are found in the gospel. Secondly, he says, I am what I am, but I work hard. He said, in fact, I worked harder than all the others. Gospel works in our life in effort, in effort. We learn to work in the gospel. We don't sit back and just think, well, God's forgiven me and grace is free and I'm done. No, it, it propels us to work. It propels us now that we know our purpose in life. Then guess what? Then we begin to work towards that end. We begin to do things so that we can overcome. And it, it gives us this ability. One of my favorite quotes from Churchill during World War II, he says to the people of England, he says, I have nothing to offer you but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. I love that quote. Jesus is saying, I have something to offer you. It is hard work, but when you think you can't do it, guess what? The grace of God, boom, pours into your life and helps you overcome and helps you go further and helps you go farther than you ever thought you could. The grace of God works in our life, and it helps us to overcome in magnificent, wonderful ways. And so how can you apply this in your life? Listen, I am so thankful that you're here today. Many of you are checking out church. Many of you are new to Christianity. Let the grace of God work in your life in effort. And guess what? Come back next week. All right. You know, I mean, some of you think that we only have uh, church Christmas and Easter. Come back next every week. So really and truly, I mean, it may, I can't tell you how much of a difference it makes just week in, week out, week in, week out. Week. It makes such an amazing difference in your life. It doesn't matter who's preaching because the Word of God is here. It doesn't matter what the topic is because the Word of God is preached. I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference. Also, in two weeks, they'll announce it here at the end of service, we're having baptisms. Man, take a step of faith. If you've never given, or if you have given your life to Christ, but you've never shown the world that through baptism, we're going to do that in two weeks. We would love for you to stand up publicly, and that's what your baptism is, proclaiming to the world, hey, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I promise you, you'll be one of many, many to do it, but it's such a powerful, powerful testimony. I work hard. I come. I do these things. And then finally, he says, for him, he says, I, I proclaim this in verse 11, and that you have believed. So for Paul, he's saying, I, grace gives me accomplishments. Grace gives me success. Grace gives me markers of things that you can say, yeah, that happened. Like, we actually 
overcame that. I mean, it's accomplishment. It's success in our life. Grace is, is this salvation moment for him as a preacher, as, as people are getting saved. For you, it's in, your, it's in your calling, and people will get saved through that. But it's amazing to me when you see what really and truly I'm following God, how your life, I mean, starts to come together. It starts to feel cohesive in nature. I, I've been amazed by that word late, lately uh, in the life of River Valley. You guys, I mean, look around you. I mean, we're full today. Two years ago, as COVID started, I'm sitting preaching to an empty room, and I'm like, well, we built a $4 million uh, studio. Yeah, you know, I was like, I think I made a big mistake. Yeah, I mean, you know, here's just like, no one's here. And now, I mean, God is so good. He brings us success. He brings us accomplishment that even a worldwide pandemic cannot overcome. Amen? I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing, and now I get to sit in it for just a second, and then I get to think, I think we're out of room. All right, so here we go again. So we're going to figure it out. We got, we've got plans in the future. It's all of these accomplishments. I want that for your life. Listen, this isn't some sort of motivational thing where you're like, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and amazing. It's not that. But there is true success in Jesus. There is fulfillment an accomplishment. There is, I have a purpose, and I work hard, and I see fruitfulness from that. It is an um, amazing, wonderful journey. And we as River Valley, we as believers in Christ, we're inviting you into that. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes you. Let Jesus change you today. I invite you right where you are to bow your heads for just a moment. The only reason we're doing this is I just kind of want you to get alone with God, away from distractions. So today, the resurrection can be in your life. The Bible says, I received the gospel. Now again, what is the gospel? The gospel is Christ died for our sins. So let's, let's personalize that. Christ died for your sins. In your mind, say Christ died for, say your name, sins. Christ died for your sins. He loved you even while you were a sinner. He died for you. So, thank you, Jesus. It's an appropriate response. He was buried, and then on the third day, he came alive. Jesus is resurrected. Jesus overcame sin, yours and mine. Jesus overcame the grave. Jesus overcame death. He truly is alive. Jesus is resurrected today. And if you will receive that, if you will believe in the God of the universe who loves you so much that he died for your sins, he was buried, he was resurrected, if you will let him take your, his rightful place, not alongside of you, not out in front of you, but on the throne of your life where you bow your knee to his will. You say, Jesus, you are Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can ask Christ today, Jesus, forgive my sin through your death on the cross. Jesus, I believe you died. I believe you were buried. And I believe you were raised. Thank you. Now be my Lord. Take control of my life. I release the steering wheel. I get off of the throne. You take control. 
If you're doing that right now, if you're receiving the gospel, the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, will be saved. You are now being justified. And the Bible is instant. It is boom, it's done. You are justified. The penalty of sin is gone in your life because Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. Now, if you are a believer, God, help me to understand I am what I am. What are you making me into be? What are the purposes in my life? What are the deep things that you are calling me to? Give me strength for effort. Help me to get up and go and get up and go and get up and go. To never ever uh, lose heart in the fact. To not grow weary in well-doing because I know accomplishment. I know success. I know what you are calling me to is coming in Jesus Christ. We praise you today because the resurrection changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.